Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as Corporate Communications, Social Media Manager at Transport for New South Wales, Former TV Reporter, NYC Marathon Finisher, Host of Prompt, the podcast, Open DMs. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, John Kerrison. Hello, what an honour to be with you, Steve. John, please, the honour is all mine. Thank you so much for making yourself available. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Oh, it's probably Kero. Kero. Really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's casual. It's friendly. Kero, mate. <laughs> Yeah, I've always is, been Caro. I've been Caro. It's probably something that my family had. I think my mum was Mrs. Caro and my dad, Mr. Caro. And when I got to regional television, I kind of became Caro on air. I, I can't nice. let it go. <laughs> no, regional television back when you were the regional Koshi. Well, well so yeah. Um, the, the regional uh, newsreader out at Prime TV, I wouldn't put myself anywhere near the league of the great Koshi, but there was some um, fun to be had when I was out in the regions, yes. I like how quickly you backpedal from that. Oh, no, I couldn't be. I couldn't be as good as Koshi. Nice work, Caro. Uh, life in TV for you, because that, that certainly is a, a big part of what you've done. Is that, uh, is that something you always wanted to do or was it something that opened up for you in that I write kind of okay and I could be a journalist, I guess? Probably the latter. Uh, it's a good question. I... I was never strong academically. I was a shocker in school. I'd never performed strongly in any exam I'd ever done. And mm -hmm. when I left school, Steve, I went and worked in a mailroom at an insurance company and I didn't really have any kind of vision on what I could or should do. Uh, some influential people in my life, a, a manager that, that um, really changed the way I thought, said, why don't you go and study something you're interested in? And I thought, well, what is that? And I guess... How radical is that? Yeah, right? go and study? Really? Oh, Surely and that's I something study. that you're interested in, not just something yeah, that people tell you. That's right. Well, like the, the school system's a whole other conversation. But I studied journalism uh, and loved it and realised that I was the round peg in the round hole. And that's right. where it all began. Mm -hmm. And so TV and, made sense. Please. Yeah, yeah no, it, well, and TV is such a... I mean, I, you know, I'm a student of the medium... Uh, and that extends to news and news coverage and journalists and those sorts of things. I have many strong opinions about mm -hmm. the way journalists present themselves uh, in both the news story and then, dare we say it, the current affairs mm. story and the rest of it. It's such a, a radically weird thing that the formality, yet the friendliness, that's it's weird. I, I, we'll dive into that later, I think. Mm -hmm. When it sounds like you followed a... a air quotes, reasonably normal path in coming out of uni and getting into the media in that you didn't just jump straight into a, uh, you know, a big metro station. And, hey, I'm going to be your next guy. Give me a spot. But you, you spent some time, you know, regionally and cut your teeth there. How was that? Yeah, it was a really good experience. Well, I mean, I, I was actually quite lucky. Uh, I had um, developed a, a mentoring relationship with the, the late Ian Cook, who was at the Seven Network at the time. And he actually said... 
Kero, come on over and do a stint with us at the Epping Studio in Sydney. So I had a year nice. at the Seven Network in Sydney and made some amazing lifelong friends there. But it was Ian who said to me, you know what, if you really want to climb the ladder, you've got to go out and earn some stripes. And so that was when I reached back out to Prime TV at Orange because I'd studied at Bathurst. And sure, so I yeah. had some uh, connections out there in Western New South Wales. And it made sense to go out and do some reporting and, oh, wow, to work in a regional community, uh, well, not just as a journo, but to be in one of the great regional communities across Australia is such a rewarding experience. And I was there as a journo for a while and then became newsreader, I think, for nearly four years. So my relationship with Orange and Prime TV in particular was a pretty amazing one. What a, what a job to have. Because those yeah. people, Steve, they know local news. They, you really learn as a journo mm. what matters. What are the, what are the yes. things that value? When you're telling a story, what is it that's going to change someone, affect someone? They have a really good sense of news in regional communities. And we, we see that play out in so many different ways, you know, in, in, that in, in, the regional, in regional communities, in, in country towns, they have such a great sense of community in the broad sense. Everyone comes together to rally behind someone if they're sick or something happens. Um, there's a great way of disseminating information that doesn't involve newspaper mm. uh, or television. Like, if yeah, look, that, that news uh, will get around, won't it? That's look, news in regions is interesting because it touches people; they're close to it. Uh, um, there's that proximity around news, isn't there? That that it, yeah. it matters to the person in the street. I can remember I was in the backyard mowing my lawn. I lived on my own in Orange, and I was mowing the lawn one Sunday afternoon. And my neighbour climbed up over the uh, the back fence and leaned across and had a dig at me about one of my stories because there was an element that was wrong. And the the neighbour got quite cross about something and said that you know next time I'm on air and I'm talking about that subject, I've got to get it right. And I remember going back to the studio the following Monday and realising that what I do matters. And although there's a layer, there's a TV studio and there's a camera and there are screens, that if you scratch away that surface, there are people who are affected by the message that you're sharing and they use it, they can change their lives. And it's a pretty important role that we play um, not to segue too quickly for you, but obviously that, that, that interest in social media for me makes a whole lot of sense because sure. social media strips away those layers. It's a little bit like local news. You know, as you tell the story, you're quite close to the communities who are receiving that and, and judging you for that story. Absolutely. And, and I think one of the, the greater benefits around social media, particularly things like Twitter, is not only the building of the community that you interact with, but that that is, in in the traditional sense, news reading and news reporting is a very one-way medium. I might go and talk to people, and now I'm going to tell you all about it. And if you want to tell me what you think, if you're lucky, you'll catch me in the street, pop your head up over the, the fence, <laughs> or you'll ring into the you know the station and tell us, frankly, what you thought of it. Now, that conversation can extend and continue and even grow the story, can't it? It can be the story. You know, social media generates so much content, so much data, so many more voices have a say that that whole construct that is news changes because of social, which I think is so exciting. Social media allows more people to have a say and therefore we get a, 
look, in theory, I'm getting carried away on you, Steve. I'm getting carried yes, away too please. quickly. Love it. Um, the, the great exciting thing that social media promises doesn't always get it right, does it? But it mm. promises more voices. And the more voices we have, the more fair, open and transparent we can have a society. That's the kind of grand ideal that I've kind of invested in. <laughs> that's, I think that's why social media is particularly exciting for me. Look at you with your altruistic ideas. <laughs> I to get carried away. Don't start me. It's rose-coloured glasses, <laughs> social media. Um, what do you say to uh, journalist, fellow journalist critics of social media who look at it and go, it's an echo chamber, it's a rush to report, it doesn't matter about the truth, um, it's just about being first? Mm. Um, social media doesn't always get it right. And I think the more we see concentration in owners like Facebook, uh, which, as we know, owns Messenger and uh, WhatsApp and Instagram, the, the less variability we ultimately have because the algorithms start to control what we see and hear. Uh, um, again, a whole other subject. I think that good journalists have realised that social media is a partner, it's a support, it's, it's a source of news, it's not necessarily the enemy. Um, uh, but again, it all depends on the circumstance, doesn't it? You know, when yeah. I went and worked at Sky News, that was a really strong culture for realising that the community in social and digital had a say. And there was... Yep quite an, an interactive approach to seeing how people on social media were talking about the news around them. And that probably worked really well at Sky News because as a 24-hour news service, boy, oh boy, even for a relatively senior, uh, seasoned journo like me, that the pace of Sky News is a thing to behold. As material comes in, it's analysed, it's, it's turned into news, uh, there's opinion, news opinion, Social media plays a really big role there, and I don't think it's an either-or argument. I think social media is a contributor to good news, and I think really good news uses social media, Steve. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it would be, given the content that comes onto it and can come from either the source itself or the people one step away, and I mean physically one step, not related steps, um, it has the potential to really shape and, and add into the story, doesn't it? As well as, as you said, it can be the story. And I think sometimes that can be to its detriment as well, that it becomes the story. Yeah, you're right. Um, lazy journalism, kind of just ripping stuff off Twitter, ripping stuff off Facebook, embedding it into websites. Oh, dude, if I read another review of a TV show that says such and such was on last night, people didn't think it was very good. Seven tweets. Yeah. And it's bloody hell. Look, it's, it's very easy to do, but, you know, I don't think many people believe that it contributes greatly, again, to civic good. Yeah. Uh, and I think the falling cost of distribution of content, the falling cost of production of content is yeah. a big challenge for the news industry because we're seeing so many people so many more people get involved and produce vast volumes of content that that going out and doing a hard-hitting yarn like one of the major mastheads will still do today it's expensive and it's time-consuming yeah. to 
to stick up a blog post and grab seven tweets and embed them and hit post is a lot easier to do. And I, and I respect that challenge. I respect Metric that for some organizations, uh, that's, a, yeah, that's a path they're taking, Steve. Does it signal not the changing face, but the adapting face of journalism that right now that's acceptable? You know, the, the post with the seven tweets, that that's considered to be okay as long as we're still doing the other thing. Uh, like putting in the hard yards and, and you know breaking the, the good hard yarn. Um, do you think that that will acknowledging the pressures around particularly our, our print organisations? You know the, the the ongoing discussion around Fairfax having to stop printing weekday newspapers is by even the CEO's admission an inevitability. It's not a we're talking about it. It just is going to happen at some point. Will that transform? Will we? Will all journalism become the seven tweets or will we still manage to, in a fully digital journalistic age, be able to deliver good yarns that are well-researched, well-thought-out and well-presented? Mate, I am as passionate about this subject as the next person, uh, but I am going to front up and say I'm just not sure anyone's landed the answer to it. There are a couple of really complicated things at play. Falling cost of production and falling cost of distribution. Right? Two concepts. They're really key here because as big businesses, organisations start moving into the content creation space, there's some really complicated conversations that we as um, content creators, as storytellers, have to have about how we define that content. If a union or an airline starts producing material and fronting up and being quite transparent about the fact that they own that material and start sharing it in a pseudo-news way, what do we call that content? Because the catch is they're the big organisations that have the secondary, or I should say, they have the primary revenue that can justify the production of news-type content. It doesn't have the same... uh, um, challenge of power that we get from traditional newsrooms and strong journalists that go in and ask the tough questions. But I'm just not sure what we as a community are left with if those journos doing that amazing work don't find some hard-hitting revenue sources. I don't pretend to know the answer, but boy, oh boy, we're in for some interesting times, aren't we? Yeah, we sure are. I mean, it's in 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 our lives, John. We will see the end of. I mean, we've already seen mastheads change format uh, that had been as they were for years. Uh, we'll see the end of printed stuff. We've seen the rise of digital and how it's taken hold. Um, it's just such an interesting position to be in for the modern journalist. And and I note from your Twitter bio that. Right now, not a journalist. I'm not a journalist. Yep. Yeah, and that's well, you still are. A really important point for you. <laughs> well, well, look, I think it's a really important point to make. I mm-hmm. am not a journalist. I believe passionately in being a storyteller. I am passionate about the industry. I still have most of my close, close, close friends are all journalists or storytellers, predominantly still in the craft, but I am someone who is no longer in that craft. And so for me... At least know that 
Sorry, I was going to say, please know that I don't say that with derision. I just mean as a as an interesting change for you to move from someone who is at the coalface, you know, at the, the, the front of the camera and doing the stuff, to now someone who isn't. But that that storytelling, the, the, the content yarn stuff is still very deep and rich within you, yeah? Very much so. And I suppose in my current role as social media manager at Transport for New South Wales, I'm in this really fortunate role where... I work in a very big government organisation. I work with really passionate people who are keen to tell strong, useful, valuable stories to people who are getting around this big, beautiful state of ours. So I don't for a moment pretend to be a journalist anymore and, and you know, I think good, uh, brave, challenging questions to government are healthy and, and should continue. And we get lots and lots at Transport for New South Wales, as we should, yes. as we should, as we should. But I think my role is a really exciting one because we're telling stories again and we're uh, helping take some really complicated communication and make sure we're providing that service to the customers who use our um, many transport agencies and modes across New South Wales. So it is an interesting change for me, but one that I'm having so much fun doing. As someone that has had to ask, and I know has asked some difficult questions of politicians in the past, what's it like being on the other side of it? Well, uh, in many regards, I'm not. In many regards, I'm not. Um, in that I'm at Transport for New South Wales, I'm at departmental level. So um, my role, let me tell you a little bit about my role. So I work with a whole bunch of teams across this very, very big transport agency. And we work a lot around the areas of what we might call before, during or after travel. So we, if you move in New South Wales, if you walk, if you cycle, if you catch the bus, train or ferry, you're a customer of, of ours and we are doing a lot in social media. Um, we've done a lot over the last few years, and it's a really growing space for us. So particularly around that fast-moving social media tool like Twitter has been really good. We've spent a lot of time building up 22 Twitter handles for our service information for trains, bus, ferry, and for traffic. And we're spending a lot of time now in Facebook. Uh, the Facebook page live traffic is huge for us. Yeah, and right. um, Facebook for public transport is growing very, very quickly. So it is a form of storytelling that our customers can use. It's the news you can use, as you might say. Mm-hmm. So um, I still very much understand the science of a good question to a politician. But fortunately, at this point in time, that's not a role that I have to play on either side. <laughs> And, and I acknowledge that. I, I guess as much as anything, I was inferring that now, instead of being the interrogator, you're part of the interrogated. Look, good point. Good point. I, I've learned a lot by coming out of journalism and into government. I've learned a lot. I've learned that principally, I am with a bunch of people who are deeply passionate about delivering really good service to the people of New South Wales but we're a massive organisation and from a department, so departmental level, again, because the, the, the uh, government offices uh, aren't a, a part of my role, 
uh, I can see that we're doing the very best we can to get people around New South Wales moving. And that's not me kind of singing the departmental tune. I guess it's me saying to you, Steve, wow, to learn what it's like to be on the other side and see people who get up every morning. We don't get it right all the time. No department and no government on planet Earth does. But to see how passionate people are as public servants trying to get it right has been a real wow moment for me, Uh, a real wow moment for me. And I kind of understand a little more about what it's like to be the journo calling through into the department, jumping up and down on the phone and saying, I need this bit of information really quickly for my 6 p.m. deadline and understanding a little bit more why it takes some time or some review to get that content out. Uh, and in, in most cases, it's because in a big organization, you want to get it right and you want to get it right for the journalists. And often that involves speaking to a whole bunch of experts who are, again, really passionate about getting their part of their job right. And so there is this big cranking machine that is a little slower than a, than a journalist wants it to be. But at least now I have an understanding of why it cranks the way it does. <laughs> It's been a fascinating learning curve. I can imagine. And it's also a part of it that, you know, the let's say you didn't go all the checks and balances and ask the right people and you just put out the thing. Then the journalist says it, that the department said these things, and either then or the next day, they or someone else determine it to be, well, actually, this bit is not what they said. And that in itself opens up a whole other wound that becomes, at times, crisis management and the rest of it. It's worth the effort getting it right to start with, isn't it? It's worth the effort getting it right to start with in every, every instance. Uh, I mean, I work quite closely with the departmental media team, so, uh, but I'm no longer in that role either. So, so mm-hmm. um, when I came over to Transport for New South Wales, we were a relatively new organisation. Uh, we were the first time that it was a central agency over all of the modes, buses, trains, ferries, and our social media maturity was really low. And so I came over into the media team and it wasn't long before me and my passion for social media was saying, let's work on this. Let's look at some new channels because there are so many interesting things happening across this big organization. How do we open up channels and open up communication uh, avenues, Facebook, Twitter, so that people can hear more of these stories and critically, Steve, so that we can start using those tools to get real-time feedback and get honest mm-hmm. feedback from our communities in social media. And yeah, look, we get it. We get lots of honest feedback about different parts of our services in social media, but we've jumped into that and we've embraced that and used it as much as we can. So uh, look, again, We've been fairly cautious as a as a um, an organisation in social media, but we're growing really quickly, and it's a it's a matter of watch this space. We've got some some good fun things planned. I love enthusiastic people, John, and you are very enthusiastic. <laughs> this is I'm loving this conversation. Thank you. This is excellent. Uh, it's, uh, look, yes, put me back in my box, Steve. I get no, very please. excited about all of the opportunities that come with digital and social. That is the last thing I want to do. I will, however, change gears on right. you and ask, where do you find your peace, John? I don't know that I get a lot of it. Um, I don't know that I get a lot of it. I think mm-hmm. that I, um, 
as a journalist was always driven to chase stories. And I think as a journalist yeah. more so, yes, my previous life as a reporter, you're, it's very, very hard to switch off. A lot of journos, I think it's a generalization, but a lot of journos experience peak stress. Managing that stress can be very difficult. Um, so I'm trying to spend some more time meditating, Steve. That's all quite new to me. So I'm spending yeah. some time trying to develop skills in, in um, meditation, body scanning, spending some time trying to get uh, silence, if not peace. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, all pretty new to me. It's a good question. I'm not quite sure that I've really found my source of peace. And not that I'm unhappy, mind you, yeah. but I'm not sure that I've found my source of peace. It's an interesting question. But that's that's good in in the acknowledgement, I guess, in and of itself. You know, some people find their peace in, you know, I spend my time with my family, or I do this, or there's the something, or I have, you know, this which I connect with something bigger than me, or whatever, whatever. Mm. I, I think that in all of those things, I think everyone would acknowledge exactly what you just said that it's still a process, even though I may know what it is or the thing that I do. Well, if you've achieved that, the next step is enlightenment, kids, isn't it? Like we still are on the way of embracing and uh, holding close to that thing so that I do have those opportunities to go, you know what, the world can stop for a moment because I'm going to stop for a moment or it yeah. can spin around me while I do this. I'm going to stop for a moment, yeah. I mean, hey, look, I love my Saturday mornings running. I love running. I, I kind of hit the pavement and run to my running club in Centennial Park and run with the guys there and uh, run home. So that's a good 15Ks or so. Of a Saturday, my Sunday morning. This conversation is, spent. is over. <laughs> you run to your running club and then run home. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's about five k's there. Five k's with the club. Five k's home. Um, I don't know. Many people would find that peaceful, but I love to get out and run. <laughs> to clear well, no, that's mind. awesome that you do. I just look at it and go, "That sounds like too much work." <laughs> but then my Sunday, Steve, uh, finding a good cafe and kind of you know the newspaper or the the ipad uh feed up some really good coffee and just switching off with the news for a few hours that's peace too right (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) i it's i I, look I, i happily admit that i'm not the exercising type and i know that i need to be and I look quite often in, in, when I get serious at people like yourself that, that do it and enjoy it, enjoy doing those kinds of things as someone that, well, I'd, I'd like to enjoy it. Maybe I should just do it more and maybe I will enjoy it one day. But I can't see that happening at the moment. <laughs> um, but all of these things, and this is the, the joy of our humanity, isn't it? That, you know, you're happy to run to your running club and run and then run home and that ticks a box for you. And someone else says, oh, but I like to do this thing with a donut and that ticks for them. And then there's the something else and there's something else. And because I think if we all did the same thing, how dull would we be? Look, uh, yeah. Um, and I think we need to be open to what all of those experiences could be. Um, you mentioned my Twitter profile and I proudly declare on it that I ran the New York City Marathon but you know what? And that was partly a, a joke. Somebody challenged me, dared me to enter the marathon. The idea of me running 42 kilometres was farcical. It was totally out of the picture. I think it's farcical full stop, <laughs> my friend. I was with you. I was with you. I, the idea of doing it was really foreign to me. But 
my friend said, just enter. It takes five years. It'll be about five, six years before they pull your name out of the ballot because it's a, a ballot entry. Well, they pulled my name out. Uh, the very first year I entered. So all of a sudden, I get an email that says, John Kerrison, you're off to New York City to run a marathon. So it was a really good lesson for me because that was it. I was going to run a marathon. The decision was made for me. Uh, um, It's a really useful lesson in life. Sometimes if you you just take the challenge, even if you're not sure how you're going to meet the challenge, just take it and just run with it to excuse the pun. Yeah. Wow. That, w- that would have been a fairly intense time too because you would have done a bunch of training to prep for that and get ready and, you know, uh, prepared yourself. And then to go and have that moment where you're in New York City running through the streets like a crazy person <laughs> with a bunch of other people doing exactly the same thing. And not just five or ten, is it? It's like thousands of people running this marathon. Yeah, about 50,000, I think. Wow. Um, and being at the start line was um, was daunting, but there was a calmness about me because I'd trained hard for it. Yeah. Uh, but the, getting across the finishing line was really interesting, Steve, because it changed my worldview. It changed my worldview in so many ways because that marathon was something I said I would or could never do. And yet I did it. So awesome. all of a sudden you're left with this question, this haunting question that says, hang on, what else have you told yourself that you cannot do it? What else is there? What else is in the list of things that you've written off that perhaps aren't right, that perhaps you can do? Yeah. It's a pretty haunting question, right? Yeah. So how did you answer it? I did a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just Awesome. I started a podcast, um, but um, – which was fun, which was a whole lot of fun. But as you know far better than me, boy, oh boy, those things are hard work. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'll take it away from you for sure. Hard work. I admire you for going and going and going and going because it's, yeah, the podcast was fun, but I think I got to eight episodes and then I took a breather. Yep. I, I, I hear that. I, I sometimes, <laughs> I know my wife thinks I should take a breather. <laughs> uh, what are you? You're a hundred and, hundred and something now. Well, this, this is episode 164. There you go. <laughs> We've just ticked over a year. There you go. You've got beyond the eight. <laughs> just. <laughs> Actually, the first eight were really easy, but that was because I was obsessed with it. Um, I just love talking with people, John, everybody's story. And, and I think, I hope that anybody that has hung in and heard all 164 episodes so far, or even just the bulk of them, would hear, not me, but hear the commonality in difference in people and their passions and their interests and their vulnerabilities and their enthusiasms and their sadness and their, their places of sincere joy. And that stuff is just exciting. It's a really nice format, isn't it? Oh, it's so fun just to have a conversation and like not even with the premise that someone would listen. I have zero expectation that people are going to want to download anything that I'm doing. Uh, (laughs) but that they are keen to hear, as one very kind podcast reviewer said, the people that Steve gets on are interesting, but he's not very good. So <laughs> that, thank you. I hope they're still listening and they hear me talk about that. Not that it hurt me at all, uh, but they, they, they're right. Ultimately, I don't want, it's not about me. The whole point of Humans of Twitter is for me, and he says talking a lot, for me to listen more 
and to hear all of these incredible things about these people that I would quite happily tweet. And we've, you know, had more than one conversation um, in, in a social media context, John, and that's been excellent. Um, but to hear some of the things behind the things that you talk about and, mot- and, and the stuff that you motivate, that motivates you and those sorts of things, that's, that's the meaty stuff. That's the good human relationship stuff. And Steve, it comes right back to what we were chatting about a short time ago, more voices. The whole idea of this podcast, your podcast, is um, another layer to adding extra content to the community to, to increase voices, right? That multiplicity of voices gets us closer to truth. The idea of you being able to produce audio content and share it widely is only possible now because of those two concepts, the falling cost of distribution and the falling cost of production. Um, You know, we're using a really basic piece of software that you sent me. I've stuck a cheap microphone into my personal laptop. Um, I I hate to reveal the, you know, the sticky tape that holds your podcast together, Steve. (laughs) No, no, it is is very much strings and, and, and... But it's wonderful, right? It's, I mean, that's the stuff that excites me about how news and media is changing. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, the, the person journalist, the, the, the raw people telling a story and, hey, I'm here at the thing and here's, you know, I'm on Facebook Live or I'm periscoping this thing where the something's happening. Um, and that's, that's a, an incredibly powerful, liberating educational thing for all of us to hear and to see and to have that stuff because before it had to be well we have to wait for the news crew to get there and hopefully at some point either in the drive there or in getting there the journalist has been able to find out more of what's going on piece the story together they're either going to cross live to them or we're just going to get the package on the news tonight so that hey five hours ago there was a thing that happened and here's the stuff um whereas it can be no right now this thing is happening yeah and i'm not quite sure how uh media comes to terms with that how communities change because of live live on facebook live via twitter's periscope is just too new for us to get our a handle on not just what that technology can do so we know that the technology can do pretty much but yeah. how communities use it how schools use it how businesses start to use it how news organizations start using this whole concept of live everywhere and here's another really interesting thing that I've observed and I'm happy to hear people challenge me on this, but I think there's a really uh, significant human behavioral change that's about to hit us too. And it started with the selfie, the idea of holding the camera up and snapping a still of an individual is really foreign to me. Before the digital age, the ego and the lack of humility that comes from taking a picture of oneself and sharing that to others was a bit weird, right? But, you know, the selfie's kind of been and gone now. The whole idea that people are becoming really comfortable at broadcasting the moving picture of themselves is a significant change to behaviour particularly driven by the mobile phone, Steve, right? So the idea of the uh, Snapchat, the Instagram story is is really introducing some new behaviours where people are just fronting up like journos, like broadcasters, like anchor people and telling their stories on the screen in the moving picture. How that plays out 
in the long term and how that starts to affect news creation. I'm not sure anyone's really landed that yet, but I think that is such an interesting phenomenon. Such yeah, an interesting I, phenomenon. Incredible. And, and look, I'm only, only 43. When I saw the whole Instagram stories thing arrive, because I hadn't been into Snapchat. I'm not into Snapchat at this point. I don't. I just go, ah, stuff. It's a thing. I know people dig it. That's fine. Um, but when Instagram <laughs> stories arrived, I just went, what is this? And then I watched it and I went, okay. And maybe, to be fair, some of the people that I follow, not necessarily great understanders of what it can be and what it can do. Until today, I had uh, I had a moment, John. <laughs> Pray do tell. Someone, someone showed me uh, the Instagram account of The Onion. Now, I've enjoyed reading their stuff and seeing oh, wow. their videos. I've not seen that yet. Man, this this changed my life in a social media context. So I've enjoyed <laughs> their stuff before. Their Instagram story stuff, they are intentionally building. The one that I saw, it was a seven or eight, I'll call them slides for lack of a better thing, but and a little short six-second, eight-second movies, 16-second movies, however long they can be, and they just put them in order. So it was like this little animated story. And it was The Onion, so it's poking fun at stuff and, and hilarious. But that sequentially I just watched what otherwise would have been a 35 second movie on the internet, but I watched it in Instagram and it told this, Mm. it told this animated story. I was just transfixed and now I want to know how they did it. And now I want to work out how to do it myself. (laughs) So if I ever work that out and any of you follow me on Instagram, you're screwed. You're going to get some (laughs) bad stuff coming down the pipe. Uh, Look, and that's a couple of minutes that you didn't spend on another channel or another social media platform or TV or radio. And as our media space just begins to fragment more and more and more and more and more, the idea of having big, fat uh, audiences of many, 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 many thousands starts to become a real thing of the past. Um, but the, yeah, Instagram stories, good fun. So oh. Have you done an Instagram story yet? I, well, no. Because <laughs> no. Short answer: No. I don't do anything that's worth storifying. <laughs> and then I look at my my friends who who are doing. It, I go, Yeah, that's why I don't do an Instagram story because that wasn't that was just some pictures that you did and you drew a circle on a thing and nice work. Um, I'm sure I will. I definitely will start doing it after seeing that with the onion. But they have some very incredibly talented people doing things with them. So <laughs> I may have bitten way off more than I can chew. <laughs> What's the most dangerous thing you've ever done, John Kerrison? The most dangerous thing I've ever done. Um, Oh, I can give you all those boring things about bungee jumping. Um, You know, they're all... Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think I've probably been fairly secure in life. You know, dangerous thing. I've never done anything really dangerous. I've been a fairly careful bloke, to be quite honest with you. I've done a bunch of things that have challenged me, I suppose, Steve. I remember when I finished up at Prime News in Orange, a role came up at the ABC in Adelaide, and I didn't know a soul in Adelaide. My dear, dear family and friends 
whom you know they mean the world to me are all based in Sydney or yep. or, or um, my sisters in London. Going to Adelaide was really foreign. I, I think I would offend all of the good people I love in Adelaide now if I suggested it was dangerous. <laughs> no, I don't think that, Adelaide was dangerous, but it was... That's a fair expectation. It was certainly an incredible challenge to go to a strange city. But, ah, uh, look, you know, people do that all the time now. But for me, that was, um, that was particularly hard and it was particularly lonely for a while, actually, uh, to move to a strange city and work for a new network and start again and, and meet new people certainly wasn't dangerous. And I know that many of the people listening to this podcast do it all the time, but uh, I remember for me it being quite a personal challenge, but it turned out to be, you know, some of the greatest years of my life, Adelaide. It was a great time. Dangerous. Yeah. It's one of those things that about three o'clock tomorrow morning, I'll be thinking, why didn't I say to Steve that the most dangerous thing was blah, but I can't remember what it is now. John, we spoke about podcast regret before we started recording, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, there you go. The only one I'll have is all of the interesting things I could have said, but there you go. <laughs> Look, I think it's fair to say that moving to Adelaide is dangerous. Let's be fair, it's near Snowtown. Uh, <laughs> yes, that poor old Adelaide, famous for its churches and serial killers. Yeah, and, and the fact that everything stops at three o'clock in the afternoon. So dangerous, you were just dangerous because you could have died of boredom. Now, now, Steve, (laughs) I made many friends in Adelaide. I'm sure some of them will hear this, and so I must do the right thing and stick up for Adelaide. That's right. You weren't the one that slided them. That's fine. I I can remember being down there having a chat with my folks, and uh, I said, why don't you come down and visit sometime? And there was a pause, and my mother said, well, we've been there before, John. (laughs) What's changed? I was like, but hang on, I'm there now. Um, That's great. Um, yeah, Adelaide. I, I think that it is a very slow place, but once you're there, if you let Adelaide climb under your skin, it's a very, very beautiful place, and I, I stick yeah. up for it every opportunity I can. Yeah, it's, it's got its moments. There's no question. <laughs> what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Um. I'm really so passionate about what social media will do across the next few years. I'm so passionate about it because I think that it unlocks dissent in a really constructive way across uh, um, Twitter, Facebook. Those assets allow for our community to talk more about the things that excite them, the things that worry them, the things that scare them. Uh, and so I've got a lot of work to do in the space in social media for Transport for New South Wales, but generally because of my own passions and my own studies in the social media space in really watching how those platforms emerge over the next little while. Uh, I need a holiday, Steve. So somewhere in there, maybe no more marathons, <laughs> maybe no more marathons, <laughs> but there's a, marathon there's a holiday, grand maybe. holiday in the plan somewhere. Um, it should be a fun 12 months. Maybe the podcast. I might climb back into the cupboard and, you know, brush the dust off the microphone and see what magic I can rustle up. There's a lot to be said for it, mate. You can be surprised sometimes <laughs> what comes out when you turn that thing on. <laughs> hey, John. Hey, Steve. Thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today, mate. Please know the things that you said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it very much.
It's so fun to chat with you. Very clearly, you are a tweeting person. You are across the socials. Do you have uh, other social media accounts that you would want people to know about? Of my own? Uh, look, um, I think it's... Yeah, look, I mean, I'm on uh, Facebook as John Kerrison. Uh, Twitter is, for me, is probably my social network of choice. J Kerrison, K-E-R-R-I-S-O-N. Uh, uh, and I'm a little bit like you. I know I'm meant to be in Snapchat. I'm trying to spend time in Snapchat. Not quite across the line there yet. Uh, but I think that will also be a really fun platform to play in over the next couple of years. Uh, yeah, look, um, if you look hard enough for me, Steve, you'll find me. <laughs> uh, be good as John Kerrison. <laughs> this has been Humans of Twitter. And I can confirm that at Jay Kerrison is indeed human. Thank you, mate. I've had great fun.